0: It seems only yesterday that I was expelled from the Boy Scouts. It was a bum rap, but uh, I made the most of it by almost immediately joining the Communist Party, which allowed Azio to open a file on me when I was uh, just 16, and looming large in my landscape in more ways than one, in terms of his physicality and his prominence, was a bloke called Sam Goldbloom. Sam was, uh, well, a man of parts. He uh, was the founding secretary of the Front Organisation, the Congress for International Cooperation and Disarmament. He was a very active member of the Jewish Council to Combat Fascism and Antisemitism. He was one of the organisers of the Vietnam Moratorium Campaign and I say this i tell you this in strictest confidence, a secret member of the Communist Party. Now, his uh, daughter, Sandra Goldblum Zerbo, has written a memoir of her life with, with Sam, their relationship which was inevitably caught up in his politics as they travelled the globe together and lived with uh, members of the security branch parked out at the front of their house for many, many years. They would have been there when I occasionally visited Sam at his residence. Her book is called uh, My Father's Shadow, and it is published by Monash University Publishing, and I'm delighted to have Sandra join us from our Bendigo studio. Welcome to our little wireless program, Comrade
1: Sandra. I'm giggling, Philip. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> dear. chuckling would be more like it, but uh, thank you very much for now, the, uh, the invitation.
0: Well, we're delighted to have you. Now, my father wasn't a communist. He was a, In fact, he was a congregational minister but like your dad, he fought in the Second World War. What do we know? And indeed, in Papua New Guinea, what do we know about your, your dad's wartime service?
1: Well, we know most definitely that he was in the Air Force. He was an engineer in the Air Force, He said that he was an interpreter for the Americans and the Australians of Japanese prisoners of war in Queensland and he also used to tell tales of having been in New Guinea. But he was also certainly about his past, his more youthful past, quite enigmatic and it's been very difficult to find confirmation of the interpreter's story and of the being present in New Guinea. And any time I ask mum, she would basically say, oh, that's bullshit. And, <laughs> but she would never elaborate on what was the real story.
0: Where was he born and when?
1: He was born... Well, that's another little mystery because... We understood he was born in 1919. Um, He was born in England to a British mother and a um, Russian Anglophile father. Um, But he came to Australia when he was somewhere between two and three and never thought of himself as anything but an Australian. But when I went to the ASIO files, it says that he was born in 1917 so that's, Of course he well,
0: was. It's a grand year for a communist to be born. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, that's true. I had never thought I'd never put those two together, <laughs> the revolution and my dad. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> what was he like as a dad when you were growing up?
1: Oh, gosh. He was, look, he, he was loving. He was a um, bully. He was a bit of a bully. And dogmatist, um, but he was also he was very proud of all of his daughters. I have two sisters who are younger than me. He was proud of all of us. Um, he was a lot of fun. He was smart. He but was, but
0: he also he also gave you quite a few smacks on the bottom.
1: Yes, I was going to add that bit as well. But he yes he did yes he was also there was also some brutality as well. Yeah.
0: I understand you got smacked because you used to nick his cigarettes.
1: That was one reason. There were plenty of reasons to give me a spanking. But yes, I used to nick, well, mum's and dad's cigarettes, I'd nick them. And I never knew if I was being spanked because I pinched the cigarettes or because I was smoking.
0: I have vivid, vivid memories of uh, Pete Seeger in Melbourne. I spent some time with him. But he doesn't make a house call as he did with your players, as did, for heaven's sake, Paul Robeson.
1: Yes, Paul Robeson and his wife, Eslander, and two physically disparate people you could never wish to meet in your life. He was tall and large both ways. And Eslander was petite. She was... um, She was a terrific person. Yes, Robeson, Linus Pauling, all sorts of people. Guess who's coming to dinner was kind of the catchphrase of our lives.
0: You uh, met some remarkable people on your travels with him too. Tell me about uh, dancing with Sukarno in Indonesia.
1: When my bubba, my grandmother, when mum's mother died... Um, She left all her grandchildren 200 pounds and Dad decided that my 200 was going to be spent on being taken to Indonesia with him. He was going with two uh, members of the cloth to a peace conference in Jakarta. So we went there and on the closing night um, there was a dinner dance for all the guests and Sukarno attended and Dad and I took a turn around the floor and then when Dad took me back to the table and was going to go off to look for another dance partner, Sakano's aide-de-camp came over to our table and asked Dad's permission for the president to dance with his daughter. And Dad gave permission, so the aide-de-camp lent me over to the president and we danced.
0: And and within a few years, most of the people you met were dead.
1: They were dead Murdered after the Sahato. Murdered by Sahato, yeah. Correct, correct. That was heartbreaking.
0: Wow, what a story. Now, a few years later, you're off to Moscow and one of those Helsinki uh, for Peace conferences. That must have been a remarkable experience for a young Australian.
1: It was, Philip. It was in 1962. And I was first at the World Peace Council Conference in Moscow, which was held uh, in the Kremlin's... Palace of Congresses, and then after that, there was that was I can't remember exactly ten days or two weeks in Moscow. Then we went to Leningrad. A whole lot of the delegates uh, went on to Leningrad, and then younger people went on to the World Youth Festival in Helsinki. I believe
0: you bumped into another friend of mine in Wilfred Birchard.
1: Birchard, Mum was travelling. At that time, and we went together to Moscow and Burchett picked us up at the airport. He was an old colleague and friend of Dad's. So um, Dad must have let him know that we were coming. And he picked us up and took us out for a midnight dinner in the hotel we were staying in. You, yeah.
0: you could have had the most remarkable autograph book, uh, Sandra, <laughs> couldn't you?
1: <laughs> I could have. It never occurred to me to have an autograph book. That was probably for like Bub's grades or something. I was too sophisticated for that. <laughs> and it was also... And the other thing, it would never have occurred to me because this was my life. These people weren't... I mean, they were special and sometimes we were awestruck by who came and who we met But they were part of the fabric of our lives, so in a way it wasn't unusual.
0: I'd like you now to tell the beloved listener about uh, when you're typing speeches for two North Korean delegates at a meeting in Melbourne.
1: Dad rang to say that the two North Korean delegates to a peace conference in Melbourne had arrived and they had a speech to deliver to Bob Hawke and he thought it was a bit messy and the English needed tidying up and a bit of grammar. In those days, I was typing. I was a single mum by then and I was typing to earn a living from a room in my house. So they came to my house and I was typing away Peace, friendship, the great working people of Australia—all that kind of thing—as as you would expect. And I made a typo. And in those days, I only had a manual typewriter, so that meant that if you made a typo in the at a certain point, you had to use an eraser to get rid of the typo, which often left smudge marks on the page. And but I was modern woman. I had Tippex, and so I took out sheet of Tippex, a chalked paper that you typed over the error. And they saw me get rid of the error and type the correct letter. Oh, they got terribly excited about this. They took a thing out, of a pad out of his pocket and a pen, and he started to write it down. And so I, made, I couldn't tell if they could speak English or not. So I made all the sign language to indicate that I had a packet for him and I gave it to him. And so it made me think, At some point, the typists in the pool, the typing pool (laughs) in Pyongyang, had their working lives improved thanks to a visit made by two North Korean comrades to my front of house office in (laughs) Carlton.
0: Sandra, I cannot think of a more subversive act. I'm talking to uh, Sandra Goldblum-Zerbo about her extraordinary life and times and uh, top of the list, her extraordinary... Father. Now, you ended up joining the Communist Party. Could you have ever considered an alternative political path following your father's beliefs?
1: Oh, I could not have, no. I didn't... The first time I joined the party, I was 19. I'd just come home. I turned 19 when I was on that trip we just talked about. Um, And I was full of vigour and verve and ready to save the world. And I thought that uh, communism was the way. But So I joined the St Kilda branch, but I only lasted maybe two months, maybe three. Um, and it just felt stuffy to me. And, I, you know, so I left. Um, and I didn't join again until uh, 72. I'd been very active in the moratorium campaigns, um, I become a feminist by then. I was also active in the women's movement and it seemed like, a, and there was also a, a um, there was a women's group in the Communist Party at the time. And so I joined again and this time I lasted for two years. <laughs> so,
0: Hardly long service leave now.
1: No, no, I didn't, no, I didn't get a badge or a gold watch or anything like that, No.
0: But we should make the point that at this time, your father had never confessed to party membership.
1: Not to anyone very much outside of the family. The family all knew and there would have been several comrades who knew um, and there were a lot of people who suspected. But we were never allowed to talk about that.
0: Now, it took decades for me to get ASIO to confess to having a file and a hell of a long time to get it. And when I finally got it, it was very, very heavily redacted. Have you read your file?
1: I have read my file. Um, I read up to the point where um, the material had been released and that's now 20 years ago, so there would probably be more. Um, but mine was also heavily redacted and so was Dad's. But because I had already seen his special branch, his state, Victorian State special branch files, um, which were extremely heavily redacted with black marker, That's what I expected to see on the pages at the National Archive. But there was nothing like that, just pages full of nothing, really. (laughs) Lots
0: of of accounts of boring meetings in mind.
1: Yes, exactly. And and there were lots of errors. That was one of the things that really entertained me about those files. There were a lot of errors, people's names or who was here or there or married to the other. Um, But it took a while. It took me three visits to Canberra to realise that the files were redacted, the reason the files were so dreary and there was nothing of great interest to read there um, was because the material had been extracted and I'd been... It took a year before I got the files and I suspect, though I'll never know, that the reason was because they were taking material out so they could just give me blah, blah, blah files.
0: (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Okay, Sandra, what did being Jewish mean to Sam?
1: Unbeknown to me, it had always meant a lot. And for a long time, because we were never religious Jews, um, I believed that being Jewish was not important to him. But around about the time I turned 50, I came to understand that this was probably not true. I thought about who my parents' friends were, what they did with their lives, um, and so I invited him over to talk about it. And it was also at a time when I started thinking about being Jewish myself, what did that mean to me? And I found myself driving around all the suburbs near where, in order to get from my place in North Fitzroy to Mum and Dad's in Elstonwick, I took all these long cuts, driving along the streets in Caulfield and St Kilda and what have you, all those areas where there was lots of the Jewish community lived, and just crying my eyes out. And so one time when I was at Mum and Dad's, Auntie Mim was there, and she said, you might be interested in this. Mum had told her that I was getting interested in what I refer to as coming back to Jewish. And it was a lecture series at the Leo Beck Centre in Kew. And I went to them and I was exhilarated by them. I asked him to come over and talk to me about what it meant to him to be Jewish and he was shocked to learn that I thought it meant nothing to him. So it was always... He, we were never religious Jews. He was never a religious Jew. We are Reform Jews where you, it, it's a section of Judaism. You don't have to believe in God to be a Jew. We're traditional Jews, we practice um, the high holiday. Not so much the high holidays. After Mum's mother died, we didn't do too much of that. It was, but we did do Pesach, Passover, and we did do Rosh Hashanah, New Year. It was very important to Dad to be Jewish.
0: Talking about faith, his faith in the com- in well, in the Soviet lasted much longer than many of his former comrades who were either. Left the party or were expelled. He must have been devastated by the breakup of the Soviet Union.
1: The Soviet Union died before he did, and it was absolutely devastating. What was my life about? He said, because his, like you say, his faith in the Soviet Union, in the its system of communism, was like a religious faith. Um, It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to sit and talk to him about that.
0: And I want to end on a very sad note. You, uh, you were with him in the hours before he died and I understand that you were singing him, well, Robeson and Seeger songs.
1: Among many others, Philip, I sang to him for three hours before he died until my mouth just would not carry another note. I was so dry and it was one of the huge great moments of my life to have done that.
0: Sandra, thank you for sharing the great moments of your life with us. I've been talking to Sandra Goldblum-Zerber, author of the memoir My Father's Shadow, published by Monash University Press.
1: ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.